Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Leighton's Loft. Thanks for joining us today. How are you, Lou? How are we doing today? Good, thanks. Back from the... Uh... What's up, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe I should turn my green screen off. I can show my green screen, too. I got green on... You know, oh, you got green on. That's right. Yeah. You're only two green shirts. <laughs> I don't have much green, but apparently it's a problem. There we go. Oh, works here, though. That's good. All right, we'll take it. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. How are you today? Thanks for joining us. How's everything going today, Lou? I'm doing all right. I'm just, uh, I came back from uh, losing a bunch of money on the horses at Saratoga this weekend and at Saratoga race course because I, I bet on a horse that got disqualified. I bet on a horse that didn't finish the race. I just, I was just destroying horses left and right this weekend. Oh my God. So you were basically a professional mush. I was a professional mush. That was exactly right. Yep. I've seen enough movies growing up. I know what a mush is. I'd stay far away from you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Visiting some family. Oh, yeah, they started doing it, too. Visited some family. And the Saratoga racetrack, I don't know if you're familiar with it, is just so beautiful. It was uh, the day Fenway Park opened in 1912. This racetrack was 50 years old. It, it was built in 1863. It's just gorgeous in the middle of the upstate New York. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I was uh, there several years ago. But never actually like attended a race. I've just driven by it. Yep, uh, and it's a great, gorgeous town. Lots of good restaurants in that town. It's a good place to visit. Well, maybe I'll put that on the list. Um, <laughs> afternoon to Ken, Tyler, Jeff, and Todd. Thanks for joining us today in Layton's Loft. Um, as we announced just a few weeks ago, we are going back to our old style, where the way that you can win prizes during our podcast and our show every week on Wednesday is to participate. Um, in our show itself. So if you say hi, you tell us what you picked up. What's up, Bill? Thanks for joining us. Um, let us know anything and everything going on in the hobby, or for that matter, with yourself personally. We'd love to hear from you. All you have to do is say hi, and then Matt uh, is in the background there, keeping track of the names. And there'll be three prizes today, uh, as well as hopefully moving forward, provided our sponsors continue to give us prizes, like Vintage Breaks and our friends from Motia Sports. Um, and other places. So for today, first place will be a $50 break credit to vintagebreaks.com. Second place will be a spot in our 1970 Tops baseball set break. Third place will be a spot in our after party bonus promo, uh, which just went live a few days ago. You can learn more about uh, the after party uh, as well as all of our breaks on our website at vintagebreaks.com. And of course, if you are interested in um, you know, trading or buying and selling vintage cards, hit me up directly, Leighton at JustCollect.com. Um, so I wanted to talk about the National today, Lou. Uh, we were, you know, just crushed the last few <laughs> weeks with everything going on Yeah. as far as, um, you know, prepping for the National, the National itself, and then getting back and digging out from the National <laughs> is a term, you know, everyone's familiar with, especially living in the Northeast, digging out after a snowstorm. Absolutely, yeah. So it's really not that much different. You pack everything up and you buy a lot of stuff, you know, at, at the national every year. Yep, coming off the move, so you guys were pretty much everything was up in the air by the time the national showed up. Oh yeah, yeah. We you know we we did a great job. Um, you know the team uh, was wonderful, uh, and it was great to meet you know a lot of folks in person at the show. Not as many as I would have liked from the Vintage Breaks community, but certainly a bunch. And you know, the, the actual show itself um, had a great energy about it. Um, it was very successful, uh, I think, for kind of young and old and everyone in between. So if you were going there as a first-timer, right, if you're going there as a 20-plus-year veteran like myself, if you're going there as an investor, 
if you're going there and someone just looking at the corporate area. I mean, there were so many um, wonderful things about it that I wanted to share with you something that I've been feeling, but I didn't know if I was right or not. So I just went to lunch with a good buddy of mine in the industry. His name is Joe. And what I was asking him is, how did you find it? You know, I didn't like want to put words in his mouth. Right. But did you, you know, have a good time? Did you have a good show? And so I kind of let him tell me his story. And we both felt similarly in the sense from the buying side that although we do it professionally, it was beyond overwhelming. <laughs> and so, you know, there was just no way to get through everything um, at the show. So these are from folks that do it professionally. Right. Um, excuse me for one second. So Matt, I don't know what feed this is, but someone's not saying in the Layton's Law feed, but this feed right to my mm -hmm. right, they're yeah. saying no sound. Yeah, I just uh, sent a message in that chat. Okay. Uh, to head over to Layton's Law on Facebook okay. for the uh, full experience so they can hear. It. Okay, so you're not able to hear it from over there. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So you guys who are all watching us on YouTube, come on over to uh, Facebook as Matt just dropped in the chat. Uh, thanks yep. for joining us today. Um, and if you haven't given us a like on the loft, give us a like on the loft so you know please. when we're going live. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate the love. Um, so getting back to... Uh, Hi, Tom, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the show itself, it was so voluminous. It was so large. I kind of felt alone at the time because, you know, you don't want to tell your competitors, hey, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to get through everything. But meanwhile, like unless you went there with a team of buyers, as I was discussing with my friend Joe, there really isn't a way that you could have got through every single booth, every single card at the National. Yeah. So it it makes you think, or at least it begs the question, should we be asking, should the National be longer? Hmm. Should the National be smaller? Should the National put a cap on the amount of dealers and the tables they can buy. Because at this point, and I think it's a wonderful point to be in, a wonderful spot to be in as an industry, if we could sell another 100,000 square feet and have more dealers, is that the right thing to do? I, I don't know. Right. Um, but I would say that this, in the last few years, has made me kind of take pause. Um, and although I do love it and I continue to love it, I'm looking forward to next year's already, is there such a thing as an event that's too big? And I'm just curious what everyone else out there thinks in our community who's watching the show today. And we'll start with you, Lou. So is there such a thing as too big a convention? And I'll go first and just say my two cents are that there, there can be. And the reason being, Lou, is if you have someone who's devoted to a particular niche, a particular interest, and they go to that biggest convention of that particular niche or interest, and they're not able to cover, forget about all of it, most of it or half of it, it begs the question, is it too big? Yeah. Now, you found this despite the fact you had a couple of days in there before the public was in, so you a lot of the dealers could interact, but still you found it was overwhelming despite having that little bit of a head start. So, yes, uh, 100%. And the reason why is I equated to golf. I'm not a good golfer, much better tennis player. But people always, you know, want to know, um, what the deal is as far as like, why does golf take so long? Yeah. And people often blame, you know, like, Hey, it was backed up today in the course. People are playing slow. But if you really think about, um, you know, what was going on, like there just wasn't enough 
manpower. So I don't mm -hmm. care if you even brought, you know, tons of people. So what I mean is to compare it to a golf course, if you have 18 holes of golf, factor in a couple of bathroom breaks and like backing up, what does it take per hole? Nine minutes, 12 minutes, especially if you're walking. So what yep. I'm saying is think about that from if you want to spend quality time at every booth. That's for you. I'm not even saying every booth. I mean, Lou, can you spend 10, 20, 30 minutes at every booth? Right. Yeah. We'll just do the numbers. There's not yeah. there's not enough waking hours in the show's hours that they're open to the public or private, meaning to the dealers, that I believe, in, and maybe we'll talk about this in trading card therapy tomorrow. I believe that the national may have reached a tipping point. Todd is a great suggestion. Yeah, even if I like they, even if, and and he stole my thunder, but but I'm glad that the community of the breaking maniacs are thinking similarly. I believe the national, if it continues it at the rate it's going, we have to organize it better. So once again, I'm all for growth. I'm all for the hobby selling more space, and, and I'm not going to stand in the way of progress. In other words, if we can add 100,000 square feet next year, great. But I think what we need to do is start thinking about ourselves like Comic Con and organizing ourselves accordingly. Well, let so, me ask you a question in response about this. Is it vital for the event? Now, I know personal business decisions and things like that for each individual business, especially the buyers. It's vital to them that they get around and see everything. But is it vital for the event that everybody gets a chance to see everything? And in fact, isn't that one of the attractions of the event? Sure. However, have you ever been to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yeah. Can you do it in a day? Sure. Yeah. But if you really want to do it, and embrace each and every section of history, you need more than a day. So what I'm suggesting is, or at least what Todd is and some of the other break of maniacs I think are alluding to is there might be a situation where we can organize the show itself better, not take away from the ability to have more dealers, auction houses, corporate sponsors, etc. But if you're someone, for example, who does no interest at all in modern or on the flip side, you're just not at a point you collect modern cards with your kid, have no interest in the history, don't want to learn about anything at this vintage. Mm -hmm. I think it would behoove the national and its customers, i.e. The, the attendees, to have it more organized so that if, in fact, you're a vintage person like myself, I know this to be true. I did not see all the vintage cards I want to see at the national. Yeah. But yet I felt if it was in the same section, I might have had a chance. Now, Todd's idea was to section it off in the same uh, exhibition, but would you at this point split the national up into a vintage event and a modern event? No, um, I do like it all being under one roof. Mm -hmm. I do like it being a um, world series of card shows. So I like that there's all this amazing stuff, but I think we need to go a step further than just organizing and pinning off the corporate area. I think it would be great if all the wax was in one area. I think it would be great if all the vintage was in one area. And I know it won't be perfect, but at least if you know, like it's like if you ever go to a festival, right? And there's bands right. performing on different stages. They don't not tell you where the bands are performing. Right. They tell you like if you want to watch, you know, rhythm and blues, go to stage C. If you want to watch hard rock, you go to stage A. So they wouldn't not tell you anything because then you have to go to all the stages to figure out where stuff is. I believe the national hasn't got too big for itself. I just believe it's time for change. Going on the festival uh, 
analogy. I remember going to the S Festival in 83 and each of the day, it was a five day festival and it was divided up into different musical genres. Could you do that with the national where there's a vintage day and there's a modern day and same exhibitors, same booths, but maybe you change up the display a little bit and there's a little more emphasis. So that if you wanted to do the one day on vintage, you'd know the day to go. Um, I like the idea. It's kooky. It's quirky, <laughs> but I know what it takes to set up there. Yeah. Everyone kind of wants to set up in the beginning of the week and then be done. Yep. Um, and then, I mean, to quote what Joe said, and I think he nailed it. Uh, Joe's a very successful uh, show dealer, um, meaning not just behind the table, but, but on the floor, um, which, you know, is where I like to be, uh, you know, walking around and such. Um, you know, he was saying that like by Thursday, latest Friday as a dealer, you really need to be behind your booth. Yep. So what he's saying is if the national doesn't, open up till Tuesday morning, 8 a.m. And by the way, that's only to the dealers. Hmm. There's very limited time, even for professionals like the dealers, to walk around and interact and to buy. Because it's right, it's all Tuesday, but it ends at four. It's all Wednesday, which is the late night. It ends at nine. But like kind of Thursday morning, especially for the people yeah. who are serious, you'd like to be behind your booth. Yeah, all bets are off at that point. Yeah, so, you know, from what I'm hearing uh, out there from, from friends of mine like Joe and other breaking maniacs I might have met at the national, they loved it, but it's become so voluminous. It's kind of like, you know, if you go down to Disney World, right? And I haven't been in years when I take Crosby, uh, God willing, in November for teachers' convention, like you can't in the same day expect to go to Disney World, go on Safari, go to Epcot. Like you have to divide it up. So I just think right. that the national would be doing itself um a solid by allowing people to understand where they can find not just the corporate area, but a vintage section, a modern section, a memorabilia section, and a wax section. And you know what? Maybe you have a miscellaneous section. Like some of these people in the miscellaneous section, they sell on Etsy. Other people, you know, in the in this miscellaneous section are like technology companies that are just starting out for the first time. Um, but I think they could do a lot to try to make it an easier experience to get through. Now, how would that work for Vintage Breaks and Just Collect, for example, where you'd want to be represented in the in the uh, vintage section and you want to be into, in the wax section, for example. You'd want to be represented in different sections. So you're buying a couple different booths at this point. Yes. Well, we're already buying two booths anyway for Just Collect and Vintage Breaks. Yep. I figured the breakers would continue to still be in their own section like it's been the last several years. And then for Just Collect, I would elect to be in the vintage section. Yep. So even though I have memorabilia, would I not be allowed to put out memorabilia? I guess it's up to the national, but like I wouldn't, I'm not worried about it. I'm not fretting. I'm just merely saying that it's become so big that yep. even with five, six days of fall walking, like you can't get through it all. And so at that point, is that really a benefit to the attendees? Yeah, no, I understand. It's it, it I, on the one hand, it's double edged sword because the size of the event is so attractive too, but it, it can't be too big. Well, that's exactly my point. You know, there's there's people who aren't setting up now, and theoretically, it's going to continue to get bigger. So I think at some point, they're going to have to consider a reorg as yeah. far as the actual space itself and not just have a breaker section, not just have a corporate section, but hopefully a couple other sections that just make it a little bit easier to experience the national. So when we have Ray Schulte back on the loft, what's your number one suggestion? Section it off? Um, I would say that coupled with i'd really and i think the national could get a sponsor i would love to see 
if they can't give it away, then highly subsidize it. They got to do a better job. And I think the national itself has to get their hands dirty with food dissemination. Yeah. Because the, the, the inability for people to quickly buy food, drink, or snack yep. is a real drag on the total dollars of commerce that's going to take place for the week. So whatever it was, and I'm sure it was staggering, I got to think that if I was a consultant on the team, they could raise that number of, of retail sales done or, or just sales done at the show by 10, 12, 15%. Yeah. They could just work out that there wasn't long lines the entire convention. We got there, J5. And Wi-Fi too. We got to get the Wi-Fi oh. fixed. Oh, is this what just came in? Now, where's the rest of it? Oh, just two samples. Oh, okay. Sounds good. I'll show it off in a minute. Yeah, this is with the, who, go ahead. Uh, sorry about that. I was talking to you five. With that time crunch of getting around to see everything anyway, you don't want to lose 45 minutes or an hour of that between eating and waiting in line to get what, you, what it is you're going to eat. Yes. And I want you to think about the math of it. That's only one person. Yeah. There wasn't a single food establishment at the convention that I didn't walk by where there wasn't, and I'm just trying to visualize, 27 people per line, 35 people per line minimum. Yeah. So that if it's only one person's missing 40 minutes, try to do that times 30 times how many hours are at the convention. It's a lot of lost time from the floor to be spending on granola bars and, and kind of cruddy hamburgers. Yeah. So and I again, think I would start I would start there with Ray or with the reorg of the space itself. Yeah. And we gotta get the Wi-Fi fixed, right? We need better Wi-Fi. Well, the Wi-Fi was a new challenge this year. Um but uh, nonetheless, there Ray doesn't need me to tell him. I'm sure him and his team are very well aware of <laughs> the issues with Wi-Fi. Tyler says he's done. No $16 chicken fingers and wait 30 minutes to do it. Were they $16? Were the chicken fingers $16? Oh, I'm sure they were. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was like a standard price. $16 got you like an old hamburger or chicken fingers and a fry. Wow, yeah. Can you imagine going? That's a detriment to bringing a couple kids, right? Because just think of the meal on just on top of it all. Uh, totally. So um, J5 was kind enough to drop off something with me. Uh, and we're going to show it off in a minute here on the loft loose. I'm going to change the camera. Yeah. Compare and contrast. Ken makes a good point. Comparing, comparing, compare and contrast Chicago as opposed to Atlantic City or. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll put it up there. Okay. How is Chicago in, in terms of these types of problems? Uh, so I can rattle off very quickly. Uh, Chicago, as far as food was very similar as far as organization was very similar. Yep. And as far as internet was much better in Chicago. Okay. So that's my score report on that. Jeff wants to know whether crime problems this year. I know you someone who'd get assaulted close to there that you knew. Uh, he was not at the show outside the show. Yep. Um, I'm sure there were issues along the lines of which this was asked by Jeff, but I, I don't know. You know, I didn't, I didn't discuss it with people. Um, so I wanted to give a shout out to our very own Antonio D. Uh, he was kind enough to refer um, a very interesting lead, which J5 is in the middle of working on right now. Mm -hmm. If I'm not mistaken, this comes from a family where this individual, Michael, was chasing down these stars back in the day. And where did he grow up? Nowhere, but okay, so we're going to get more details. Um, they sent us a couple samples from the collection. Uh, it's autographs. And these are autographs, we believe, 
that this gentleman, Michael, and I guess his family. Actually, this is from his wife. This is from his wife. Okay. Oh, by uh, the way, the one of one Nolan Ryan auto. That you oh, that's so pulled. cool. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was just gorgeous. I love that card. Yeah, no, that was a great pull. Yeah. Um, so J5 told me about the story. And, you know, every now and then you find something that just really makes you stop in your tracks. And so when you're talking about an autograph collection that was obtained in person back in the 1950s, chasing down the players, mm -hmm. check out. They've only sent us two samples. Here's the first one. Oh, God. <laughs> To Michael, best wishes, Ty Cobb, November 12th, 1952. Good Lord. So this collection, and, and I'm not an autograph expert um, by any means, but I've seen a bunch of Ty Cobbs, and I feel very comfortable this Ty Cobb looks good. Yep. Um, now, the Wagner, which is coming up next, uh, I don't know as much about, but if what they're telling us and what we're seeing is true, and Michael flag these players down in person i believe that most of these autographs are going to pass uh authentication starting yep. with this ty cobb as many know ty cobb would sign a lot of things in green so here's he is in green but you know and, and i don't grade autographs let alone authenticate them but like the actual signature itself flows really well like it looks like a nine or a ten yep just gorgeous So that is the first cut or, you know. Um, Does the personalization cut into the value of that, the two Michael? Great question, Lou. It does a little bit. It would be better if it just said best wishes. Mm -hmm. But I'd also say on the side of authentication, and this doesn't by any means um, go for every time, but generally when things are personalized, it makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. Like I already thought it was good. Right. But seeing it's personalized, like, oh, yeah, this looks like something that, and to be fair, the next one says best wishes to Michael from, you're going to see in a minute. So mm -hmm. there seems to seem, seems to be a common theme. Now, Michael has a common name, so that's right. good. Like, if these were all the Leighton, probably not going to find that many Leightons that are also Ty Cobb fans. However, no, I mean, you're, you're collecting autographs. You don't, the person didn't sign the autograph to you necessarily, especially if you're purchasing autographs. So what's the difference? I agree. I got to be honest. If I had a two Leighton best wishes Ty Cobb, that'd be pretty fly. Like I would yep. buy that, you know? <laughs> so, all right, coming up next, once again, this is only uh, one of two samples they sent us. This one, um, I don't know a signature as well, but I thought this was really cool. Um, we are looking forward to seeing uh, more autographs from this very special Northeast collection referred to us by our very own Antonio D. Hey, what's up, Andy? Will do. So check this out. Best wishes to Michael from Honus Wagner. Mm -hmm. Now, I know the H looks real funky to me, but once again, uh, I'm not an autograph expert, and I believe that Michael met um, these athletes in person. Um, that being said, we will work with either PSA or JSA to have these looked at. Yep. Um, and there's there's more from this collection, right, J5? A lot. a lot more. So, you know, they want to start slow. But it's not like a card auto where it's signed very deliberately. This was probably done in quite a rush. And well, well can that's happen. a great I blow point, my... Lou. He could be blowing his nose at the same time he's signing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I blow my own signature every now and again. So yeah, you, you could see in a rush where they might, uh, that might happen. Uh, absolutely. 
So I did want to show off. Um, these are just two cards that are really cool. I haven't uh, kind of figured out the pop, you know, with them yet, or um, uh, you know, anything like that. Um, but I wanted to show off some. I've really been into vintage non-sports, and I have two gorgeous high-grade non-sport Batman cards. And that. I want everyone to understand that the reason why these are so colorful and so amazing to look at. These are all based off of original pieces of art work that Norm Saunders did for the set. So literally it was probably a piece like about yay big, maybe a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. And he hand painted the scene <laughs> and each and every scene from the set. So, you know, this is not a normal, like a 1960s baseball card of tops would have featured a player, right? Maybe the guy was a little bit kooky and did something funny, <laughs> but definitely not something um, this uh, right. beautiful to look at. So I've really been taking to vintage non-sport cards and it doesn't have to be from the sixties. I just happen to be a fan of Batman and, you know, the characters from it. Um, but I really, really appreciate this artwork. The artwork of that time is so great, you know? Yep. Um, just a reminder with only a few minutes left in today's Aiden's loft, if you want to have a chance to win one of three prizes, including a $50 break credit, today's show is sponsored by Otia sports vintage breaks and just collect. Um, you do need to comment in Layton's loft on our Facebook page. And if you'd like to know each and every time we're live, just give us a follow and you'll get a notification. So yes. getting back to these vintage non-sport cards, um, here's one of the PSA 9s. And I believe these are both very low pop PSA 9s. I'm going to check afterwards. But check out this beauty as well. Oh. I mean, he's pulling a guy out of the river. Yep. Dragged from death's door. I mean, like, can you just imagine being a kid and you get something <laughs> like this in a pack in 66 for a nickel? Yeah. That's going to really make you stop in your tracks. Are there many? Are there much in the way of modern non-sports cards? There are. I don't believe they look like this. They've kind of got yeah, no, yeah, no, way. they're not drawings. Was, yeah, no, um, but no, there's a, there's a fair amount. Um, you know, listen, Game of Thrones has a, a fairly large oh, series now because yeah. it was such a popular show. A special shout out to Annie Brentano and that wonderful collection that he referred us uh, from out west. Uh, Bobby brings up a good point. Says Honus was a lot older at the time and had dexterity fades with age, so. Once again, we 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 believe it to be real. Doesn't mean it is. Doesn't mean it'll yep. pass. Right. Um, but uh, we're just excited because I've seen enough Ty Cobbs, and the Ty Cobb looks spot on. I was just thinking that because I had just gone through Ted Lasso recently, and it's they, they had cards for that show. I'd love to. I'd love to have a set of cards. Oh, for that that's a, such a great show. Yeah. I think they're going to have one more season, Lou. One more. Yep. Yep, Dennis, we're uh, we're aware. Appreciate it. Thanks for the heads up. We want you all coming over to Layton's Loft for the show anyway. And then you can go back to Vintage Breaks where there will be sound for the break this afternoon. So. Yes. One second. So besides Batman, what are some of the other non-sports vintage cards that you look for? Um, I like Gilligan's Island. Yeah. I like the Horrors of War set. Um, yeah. We've had a couple examples on, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, um, let's see what else. Uh, you know, really a big fan of the national, uh, excuse me, of the Star Wars set from 1977, uh, first series. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, in general, what's cool is that if you don't want to spend big money on this, you could just buy a mid grade card for like a couple bucks, yeah. So, 
Um, thumbs up to vintage non-sport cards. I'm not even talking investment. I'm purely just talking for enjoyment. <laughs> Very affordable and they look great. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. I'm ready. I'm ready for my own series now. Let's yeah, of course. Our vintage break series. Yeah. So let's get back. I just switched back Lou to the main, you know, the main great. Yes. Um, so with a couple minutes left, I wanted to, you know, finish up with the national and I wanted to give you, uh, you know, my thoughts or closing thoughts on it. Um, as an overall great show, you know, I give it an A minus. The only reason I wouldn't give it an A or an A plus uh, is because of the things that I mentioned. Um, yep. And, you know, people might say, well, like, why don't you downgrade it more? Because there's no other World Series of card shows. Right. So um, uh, it, it was it was great. Um, I do think that there was plenty of everything, but yet not plenty of everything at a good price. So in other words, lots of wax. Yeah. There was a fair amount of vintage. Lots of modern to choose from. Not as much memorabilia, but I just think it's a function of it's difficult to travel with. And maybe, you know, memorabilia dealers didn't come to the Northeast, you know, meaning AC, I don't know. Um, but there was almost no shortage of every of, of anything and everything. Um, I just think you could be organized a little bit better. So that way you can enjoy it uh, just a little bit more and get, you know, more time seeing the things that you'd like to see. Last year in Chicago and this year in New Jersey, you could understand where maybe they'd undershoot a little bit because who knows what this event's going to be like and what the situation's going to be at the time. So maybe going into next year with a full understanding, having a year under their belt and seeing some of these uh, areas where they need to do some improvement, hopefully they'll catch up to some of these stuff. Yes, yeah, so exactly. Everything's a work in progress. Your own personal life is, you know, the industry that you're in, of course, is always going through changes. Tyler's got a good point. Would do you, are you happy with the current rotation, or would you like to see some other locations? I'd like to see some other locations. I would like to see Baltimore. I'd love to see Florida, possibly Vegas. I think that would be great. Vegas, yeah, Vegas would be excellent, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It, uh, if they could do it in that new ballpark, that new stadium. Yep, I'm sure they could figure out a bunch of things to do out in Vegas that you can't do anywhere else. Nope. Oh, any COVID problems at the national? Well, for us, we experienced some. Um, you know, our staff is better now, but we definitely did. You know, I heard others did as well, but it's to be expected we have an event that has tens of thousands of people there. Yep. Let me ask you one question before I let you go, because this has interested me since it came up when Bill Russell passed last week. Um, and I forget the player who brought it up, but the player brought it up that maybe his number should be retired like Willie Mays, like across the NBA. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how you feel about something like that, because listen, I'm a Boston guy. I love Bill Russell and understand his importance, but I don't know how often you do that. I'm not even sure I, I like the uh, Jackie Robinson across baseball retirement, but how do you feel about that? Um, I think to be even considered for something like that is unbelievable. Yeah, oh, it I just know, right? goes to show you. So, like, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm not trying to to get into it, but I would say it's emotional, yep. right? I mean, I didn't know Bill Russell or his family, and I feel emotional as a Celtic fan, a sports fan. So, I can't really give you an unbiased opinion. What right. I can give you is how I feel, and how I feel is he was extremely important to the game of basketball in a variety of different ways, both as a player, as a coach, and as a legend, as an ambassador. Mm -hmm. Um, if you wanted to play devil's advocate, which for me isn't as fun. Cause like I said, I, I I'm in support of whatever they like to do. Um, there's going to be other pivotal players in these yeah. respective sports 
And so, you know, how many, how many numbers can be retired across the sport before it actually becomes an issue? Right. Yeah. And who's the judge and jury? Yep. Plus, so. it, even with the Jackie Robinson thing for me, and I understand the reasoning behind it, and I'm not all that against it, but he his number is attached to the Dodgers, and it doesn't really have a lot of meaning for the Anaheim Angels or the Boston Red Sox, or, you know, and I think it kind of dilutes from that meaning. So I'm not sure of the concept on a whole, but I just thought it was interesting. And you're exactly right. The fact that anyone would bring that up and make that statement tells you how big Bill Russell was and how important he was to the game. Yeah, I just want to address something you said. It's interesting as we're finishing up here and we let Sam and Matt take over. Um, you know, if you if you think about what you just said in regards to like the number 42 doesn't mean something to the Angels, right? Right. The number 42 doesn't necessarily mean something to the Rangers. I would disagree. This is just mm -hmm. coming from the heart. Sure. Because if it wasn't for number 42 for the blue for the Dodgers in blue, there really isn't any Anaheim Angels. Yeah. There really isn't any Texas Rangers. It's a good point. Or or at least not of the same ilk. Yep. So so that's that's you know, and I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about it, so I kind of know I feel it. Um I would maybe say the same for Bill Russell. It's it's different situation, but how do you judge, you know, someone's life and it's the impact on others? So th that's right. what I would ask you is like Jackie Robinson does have an impact on Anaheim Angels fans. They just don't necessarily realize it. So I actually like through the education of retiring the number. Yep. And and all that comes with that. I I, I like that. Um, I understand that position. And it's it's valid because Jackie Robinson, uh baseball in Jackie Robinson's era wasn't necessarily a national sport. It was we were just talking about this at Saratoga. It was horse racing and boxing almost up until Jackie Robinson. You can almost yes. find that as the turning point for that. Yep. But see, this is what makes Leighton's Loft to me so interesting. I love debating and discussing, you know, hobby related, sports related life-related issues, how it's all intertwined. Mm -hmm. All right. Excellent. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up today's edition of Layton's Loft. Hopefully you dropped a comment in there so you'll be uh, on the list and have a chance to win one of three prizes in just a few minutes with Sam and Matt, the rest of the gang here at Vintage Breaks. Thanks for joining us today on Layton's Loft.